Pastor Xavier Reese and the lore of sin. Listen carefully. God put it in the affirmative. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. The serpent put it in the negative. You shall not eat of every tree in the garden. What a difference. Negative things provoke us to break the law. The sign says, wet paint, don't touch. I am convinced you to say, wet paint, please touch. Nobody will touch the stinking wall. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Almost everyone of some fame and notoriety has made the journey from rags to riches. This seems to be the driving force behind every success story. But Pastor Xavier says this is backwards, at least according to God's original design. Let's learn more as we join him for today's intriguing study from the book of Genesis. Let's listen. The message is entitled, The Fall from Riches to Rags. Have you ever read the story of the prodigal son having everything he could ever wanted or ever needed in the father's house? And yet he chose a life that was sinful, only to end up to fight with the pigs for a piece of corn. What a picture of Adam going from riches to rags in the picture of every person who chooses to live apart from God. The fall of man in the Garden of Eden here is revealed through a conversation between the serpent and the woman, Eve, which resulted in believing three lies. Listen as I read. Now the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit or the tree was good for food that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the midst of the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden." Here's the three lies this conversation reveals, which resulted in the fall. First, to doubt the word of God, verse 1 through 3. Second, to mistrust the character of God in verse 4 and 5. And then thirdly, to trust in oneself more than God in verse 6 through 8. The first lie was to doubt the word of God. Notice, this is foundational. Doubt. Verse 1, the serpent was the instrument of the temptation to disobey God. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The serpent was more cunning, underline the word cunning. It means shrewd, crafty, prudent. The word in the positive way is used uh, as a virtue for wise men to cultivate 
And it's certainly evident in the Proverbs. Proverbs 1, 4, 5, 1, 12, 23, many other portions. But when the word is used in the negative note, as it is here in our context, it refers to being wild, manipulative, deceptive to gain advantage of one. Exodus 21, 14, and Joshua 9, 4, the Gibeonites came with moldy bread and tattered clothes. Notice there is a direct correlation and play on words in the text between perfect fellowship with God of the last chapter. We don't see it so much in the English, but in the Hebrew. They were both naked, arom, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed in chapter 2, verse 25, the ideal condition. The serpent was cunning, arum, one letter difference, crafty, deceitful. There's a direct connection between the event that precedes and that which is following. And so we see the enemy taking advantage of that innocent state. He's wise. The shrewdness of the serpent and theirs would bring about ruin to their perfect fellowship with God and themselves. They didn't see it. That's the thing of deception. It's called deception because you don't see it. Notice the serpent held the highest position among the animals. Um, God created all the animals in creation as we've seen in chapter 1, verse 20 and 23. The life, uh, the sea life and the birds were on the fifth day. Um, chapter 1, verse 24 and 5, the beasts, the cattle, the reptiles on the sixth day. And the word make here is Asa, once again, out of existing materials. God created everything. He reinforces it again. Now the serpent being created by God was to be in subjection to the creator as all other animals. He's a covenant God. In fact, the phrase Lord God makes this clear. Yahweh Elohim, as we've seen. The serpent from this point on is used as a type of sin and evil and literally sin and evil. In fact, Satan is the evil behind the serpent that is revealed here. Now, the rebellion of Lucifer as we've seen, had to have taken place before the creation because God said it was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good in the first six days of creation. So the rebellion cannot be included there when he's saying good, 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 very good. There is no room for the rebellion in the first six days. There is no room for rebellion here because all of a sudden he appears already fallen. So his fallenness must have happened as rebellion prior to the creation, as we said in chapter 1, verse 1, because all the angels were with him singing as he created, rejoicing with him. Now, as you know, Satan threatened God in Isaiah 14, 12 through 19, and you can look them up there. Those are the two important passages. And he says that he would overthrow God, he promised, but God says, you'll be brought down to hell. He's a created angel. He's not all-powerful, not all-present, not all-knowing. Very important. He's no competition to God. So the result was two wills in the universe. God's will, the rebellious will of Satan. And once Satan grabs a hold of Adam and Eve, now you've got thousands of wills under Satan's will of rebellion. Everybody lives life their own way. 
as fallen man. Now notice the words of the serpent implant a doubt in the minds of the woman Eve about the accuracy of the words declared by God. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the serpent did not come to Adam, notice that, with the attack. But he came to the woman. Man was placed at the head of the garden, as you know, in chapter 2, verse 15, to cultivate, to care for the garden. The Lord God had entered into a covenant with Adam, commanded him in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God communicated this very clearly to the head, Adam. Chapter 2, 16 and 17. And man was placed as the head of, uh, of not only creation and the garden, but here also of the woman, as you know, as we saw that in chapter 2, verse 21 and 22. The woman was made for the man, the suitable helper, comparable, one like him, to complete him, not as a sex object, not as a maid, but the icing on the cake, completing creation. And so Adam, as head, communicated this prohibition to his wife, because as we look at the text, that command was given before she was even created. So his was a delegated authority. God communicated to him, he to his wife. Now, the serpent was attempting to have the woman doubt the prohibitionary boundaries by maligning, notice, the generosity of God to provide every tree except for one. Listen carefully. The first word, indeed, means really. Listen what he says. Really, has God said, <laughs> perhaps with sarcastic skepticism, certainty to deceive. Now notice the second thing was to misquote God, magnifying the prohibition of what he said in order to provoke the woman against the prohibition. The serpent put it in the negative. You shall not eat of every tree in the garden. God put it in the affirmative. Of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. 2.16. What a difference. Same result, but what a difference. Negative things provoke us to break the law. We're lawbreakers, Paul says that. The law provoked me to do evil. The sign says, wet paint, don't touch. What do you do? <laughs> I am convinced that you say, wet paint, please touch. Nobody will touch the stinking wall. Prohibitions provoke us. Really? Hmm. The only prohibition was one, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. 2.17. Only one. The affirmative, positive, everything. Minus one. Satan turns it around. Magnifies the negative. Turns the positive into a negative. Now notice the words of the woman reveal her deviation from the words of God through the subtle temptation to doubt the words of God. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. The woman is now starting down the same road. She misquotes God by omitting the word every. She's picking up Satan's habits rather than God's. The woman should have turned to her husband or God. The woman took the bait and she ran with her curiosity. Notice the woman also now 
adds to the words of God regarding the tree of good and evil. Nor shall you touch it. God never said that. She was now speaking of her own authority. This is dangerous. She was already moved from God to the serpent's mind by addressing the words to God, Elohim, instead of Yahweh Elohim, the covenant God. She's being pulled more and more and more to him, like a magnet. She was not being what God intended her to be. She was now usurping the authority of her covenant creator and her husband. She was the authority. The word of God is absolute authority over our life, yours and mine, women and men. And we must not think that we can improve upon it. It's a subtle thing. It's one step after another, as we'll see. In certain parts of the world, they hunt certain monkeys in certain ways. They take a coconut, and they drill a hole in it, big enough for the monkey to get his hand in. They put some rice in there, and so the hunter puts the coconut, he takes off. The monkey comes around, checks it out, oh, right, sticks it in, and he makes a fist, grabbing the rice, and he, he can't take it out of the, the coconut. So what does the monkey do? Starts beating the tree. Well, he's signaling to his captives, hey, come and get your monkey. And until the point where that hunter comes to take that monkey and kill him, he will not let go of that rice. He gives his life because he's so sucked in by the bait. What a picture of man in sin. He won't let go of it. Satan is subtle and clever to seduce people spiritually away from God. Jesus called him the father of lies in John 8, 44. The father of lies. He is to be resisted by the believer by bringing every thought into captivity, by the way, that comes against the knowledge of God in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. Learn it well. The attack is not against you. The attack is against God, the knowledge of God. Has God said, bring your thoughts into captivity. Don't start down that path of doubt. But the danger is real in that Paul told the Corinthians that he feared lest they somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve in his craftiness, so their minds might be corrupted from the simplicity of Christ in 2 Corinthians 11.3. So Paul takes this Genesis account literally and reminds the Corinthians, remember Eve, remember Satan, remember what happened there. Satan brings up many conversations to the believers. You say, man, Eve was stupid. Oh, well, hang on. We're not so bright. Satan comes and says, really, has God said you can't drink any longer? Really, has God said you can't fornicate anymore or commit adultery? Really, has God said you cannot be unequally yoked? Really, has God said you have to go to church? Really, has God said you have to study the word, pray, and be a doer of it? The danger with these questions that are posed to us by Satan is that we might respond to the seductive facilitation of Satan and answer him like Eve, adding or omitting to the word. Here's the responses. Listen well. We may drink in our own home as long as no one knows. 
We may fornicate and commit adultery if we really love the person. We may be unequally yoked because God will save them. We may miss church because where two or three are gathered, God's there. And besides that, especially when there's guest speakers, we may study, pray, and be doers, but let's not get carried away. We still have to be real. <laughs> Besides, all of that is for pastors. I'm just a regular Christian. Huh. We're not much different than Eve. We cannot add, we cannot take away from God's word or interpret it subjectively. I've given you many times the scriptures, Deuteronomy 4.2, Proverbs 30, verse 6, Revelation 22, 18 and 19. You cannot add, you cannot take away. God will hold you responsible. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. Proper for doctrine, correction, instruction, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. 1 Timothy 3.16 and 17. The disappointments of life can cause us to doubt God and his faithfulness, that he's true, that he's good. Maybe Christians take advantage of you. So you become tainted. Maybe your marriage doesn't work out, so you blame God. Maybe you come across some fatal illness and, or some tragic death in the family, and you just can't understand why God. And so your heart gets hardened. Rather than drawing you to God, you listen to the conversation of the enemy. The fall was the result of the first lie, doubting the word of God. The second lie was to mistrust the character of God, verse 4 and 5. In verse 4, the words of the serpent move on to bring an attack on the personal integrity of God. Mark it well. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. The serpent was saying that God cannot be trusted as a person. He lies. <laughs> the implication is that God was not being completely truthful with them. The lie of the serpent was a half-truth, by the way. They would not die immediately physically. That would take 930 years before Adam died. But spiritual death would take hold of them immediately. And spiritual death is always this. It's defined like this by the Bible. Separation from God. Cast out from God. Having no fellowship with God. That is spiritual death. Notice the serpent was saying that God does not mean what he says. There is a double entendre here in the statement, you will not surely die. Certainly you will not die. Or it is not certain that you will die. It's to bring that mistrust. Listen well. The art of seduction is in being able to convince someone to do what you want them to do without telling them to do it. Guys are great for this for girls. But I love you. The art of deception is also in being able to convince the person that the consequences of what is prohibited is really not as bad as you have been told. Satan always minimizes the consequences and maximizes the benefit, even to make people think that they are the exception from the principle of sowing and reaping. Notice in verse 5, the words of the serpent progress. The logic to bring an attack on the very motives behind God's words. For God knows that in the day that you eat, 
of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God is attempting to keep you from your full potential intellectually, he's saying. For God knows and the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. Eyes open are indicative of perception and understanding. In other words, God wants to control you and keep you ignorant and confined. How often we hear from the world and from friends, come on, we're not in the Victorian age. (laughs) God wants to keep you from enjoying life on your own. You are your own person. You need no one else. Certainly not God. The woman and her husband could free themselves from their false restraints. And you will be, listen, like God. Wow. That is tempting, isn't it? The woman and the man would be able to make their own moral and ethical judgments. Listen, knowing good and evil. They would know for themselves and not have to be deceived by God. They've gone from dependency to now deception by God. The doubt is to cut dependency. Now it's progressed to not depend on the deception of God. Ooh. One step at a time. The problem with experiencing evil is that it does not teach us, but it taints us. They would have no ability to not sin any longer. After that, I've told you in years past how Eskimo hunt wolf. The Eskimo go out and they take this knife and they bathe it with many coats of blood, let it dry. And then they go out in the middle of the night and they take this big knife and stick it in the ice and they secure it. And the wolf at night smells it and he comes by. Smelling the blood, he comes up to the knife and he licks it. Oh, he tastes the blood. But what he doesn't realize is he's not only tasting the blood on the blade, the first swipe, now he's tasting some of his own blood. And being so blood hungry, he keeps licking and he doesn't know that he's feeding off himself. In the morning, the Eskimo comes, he follows the blood trail, he has his wolf. What a picture of Satan. Oh, the first beer, exciting. Ugh, tastes horrible. But you can't throw it out because your friends are there, you know. You got to be rah, 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 you know. Then pretty soon, you like it. And pretty soon, you're a teen, you drive, and you almost kill somebody because you're driving drunk. Then you get married, and it affects your marriage, and you beat your wife, or you do dumb things. Then pretty soon, your marriage is gone. Then you have sources of the liver. First doobie, ooh, man, whoa. Then you go to coke. Then you're snorting your brains out. Then you're selling your mom's car. And she's in the retirement home. Destruction. Hmm. The warfare is intense hand-to-hand combat. Ephesians 6.12 tells us, it is not against flesh and blood, by the way, it's, um, uh, though it's presented through flesh and blood. Satan uses people to get to us at times, see? But it's spiritual. The forces vary in rank and authority. Principalities, powers, dominion of darkness that he speaks about. We wrestle, indicating the 
contact between two individuals, endeavoring to throw one on the ground and to press them down, hold them. In fact, the Greek uh, wrestlers, the loser, would have his eyes gouged out. How interesting that 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says that Satan blinds those lest the light of the glorious gospel come upon them. Paul fought a good fight. He kept the faith, 2 Timothy 4, 7. It's a win of a war. It's a good fight. But it's through obedience. Pastor Xavier Reese reminding us that there can be victory over sin. And you can pick up a copy of this lesson from Genesis called The Fall from Riches to Rags. It's available upon request for just $4. And don't forget to share these truths with a friend or loved one. Now, the title to ask for once again is The Fall from Riches to Rags. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. Are the consequences of sin really that bad? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese. That's right here on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 